I like JD's words that hopefully it's not my words, but the Holy Spirit and God's words come out of me. Well, you see the title there. Can you say the title together? Remember and understand. I debated on whether to do remember and understand or remember to understand. I I went back and forth and I think you'll get the idea of why I went back and forth. Remember and understand or remember to understand. And I should have put two. Um, But we'll see. You'll understand why. This week, if you see the title, Remember and Understand, everything was like that I studied or at the library something reminded me of something to understand it. And then Bible study on Wednesday was remember and understand. And uh, even this morning in Sunday school was kind of remember and understand. And everything just like was like, okay, why is this happening? And like I say to myself and to some of you, it's whatever I'm like studying in the book of Mark, it seems like everything in the week points to what I've been studying in Mark. It just... Weird how that works, but I know it's God who's bringing things into my life that is reinforcing the message of God's Word and His Word. So, remember and understand. Like I said, there was an example from the library. I took Theo and Beatrice to wood carving. Theo does wood carving, and I hang out with Beatrice in the library, and I say, what kind of books do you want to read, Beatrice? So we saw this book on the shelf, The Twinkling Chris, or the Twinkling Tree. Has anybody read it? Yes, no? No, I never have read it either. But it was on the shelf, so I had to pick it up because it's Christmas time. And it was an unexpected book because I didn't know the author. I didn't research the author. I didn't even read the back of the book before I read it. And you see there's a lot on there. So we started reading. And then we get to this page. So the the dad and the boy go cut down the Christmas tree and bring it to the house. And the Christmas tree's like, what's going on? Like, I was happy with my snow on there, and now I'm cut down and I'm in the the house. But he saw the joy on the face of the small boy. They decorated the tree. And here's where I'll start. Beaming with pride, I looked to my side. There were gifts neath my boughs of green. Then on a small table I saw a wood stable and was puzzled at what that could mean. As all went to bed, I thought in my head, what a wonderful tree shining bright. Surely all could see the same wonder in me as I sparkled and glistened with light. As morning came and the boy ran in, I was sure he would head straight my way. But, He went to the stable and knelt down beside where a tiny old figurine lay. A smile filled his face as he gazed in that place at the baby and animals too. Then I heard him proclaim the dear figurine's name. Jesus, happy birthday to you. I felt my heart sink and was so ashamed of my proud and arrogant way as I looked at the boy the stable, the animals, and the baby who lay in the hay. I quickly knew what I had to do, and to Jesus I humbly confessed. At that moment, my lights truly twinkled. I was so wonderfully blessed. For the birth of Jesus, I now know, is the only true Christmas story. How a baby came to save the world in the fullness of God's glory. Even when you're reading children's books, you remember... 
and you understand what Christmas is all about. The tree knew now why Christmas is Christmas. Because Jesus, the Savior, is born. So that was the library. That was Monday. Wednesday happens. We have Bible study and we're talking about Second Peter. And we're going in our study. We're discussing many things and it's, it was a good study. And then I look down again after we're studying and Peter writes this. You don't have to turn there. But Peter writes this in the chapter 1 of Second Peter. So I will always remind you of these things. Peter writes a letter to Christians saying, I'm reminding you of these things so you can learn and understand and live them out better. You're reminded to understand. And then Thursday morning comes and we're going through a book, champion, A Champion's Heart. And then we come to, it, we're, we're talking about prepared for adversity. Nobody wants to talk about adversity because things happen and you're like, why is this happening? But here's what the writer here says on page 93. I'll quote it from my notes because I don't want to turn there. It'll take too much time. He says, we need to be reminded. There's that word again. We need to be reminded that Jesus and His Word is the only preparation we need for the spiritual battle against the enemy Satan who seeks to spoil the victory that we have attained in Christ. Monday, I'm reminded from a children's book why we celebrate Christmas. Wednesday, I'm reminded in Bible study, you write things down to remind people, Peter says. I'm reminding you of these things. And then Bible study, reminding us that God's Word and Jesus are the only preparation we need to battle what we're battling in this spiritual battle that we're going through. Remember, you can slash out and and put to understand now. I wish it was technologically, and I should have put that. Remember to understand. Do we like to remember things? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But when we remember something that happened or something that is true that we forgot about, aren't we reminded and then we understand why it happened or why we remembered it? And that's what we're going to look at from Jesus here, when they leave their scene. Remember last week we talked about He just fed how many people? 4,000 people. Then the Pharisees kind of try to test Him, remember, to harm Him, and say, hey, give us a sign from heaven. Only God, give me a God sign they were asking for. And Jesus said, no. And what does he do? He left the Pharisees and he got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. So they get in the boat, the disciples and Jesus, and they're going to the other side. And that's where we picked up and J.D. read it for us. Verse 14, that's where we're going to pick up. If you're a note taker, we have three points. They come straight from the Scripture that we're going to read. Point one is going to be Jesus warns disciples and then we're going to go to jesus questions disciples to remember and then we're going to finish with jesus wants disciples to understand so that's where we're heading so here we go jesus warns disciples 
and verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. So they get in the boat and they only brought one loaf. I don't know who brought the loaf. We don't know. And then Jesus says this, be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Some of your translations may say leaven, same thing. So Jesus warns his disciples. In the Greek, it reads like this. Beware, beware. (laughs) Have you ever saw a sign that said beware of something and you ignored it? Anybody? Be honest, come on. (laughs) A house in my neighborhood growing up said beware of dog and we just went by that house every day. And then until you realize, if the dog's not on the chain and you're on your bike, you've got to pedal so fast to get him back to your house before that dog gets you. But we didn't pay attention to the sign. Beware. Jesus is saying, beware, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Two separate yeasts. So yeast in the Greek language is zume. In the Vines Dictionary, it defines it as this, of corrupt doctrine, error mixed with truth, of corrupt practices. In the Thayer's Greek lexicon, the meaning of yeast or the Greek word is viewed in its tendency to infect others. It, yeast, is applied to that which, though small in quantity, yet by its influence thoroughly pervades a thing. So even though it's small, it takes over. The influence of it takes it over and it pervades it. If you put yeast into dough, what happens? It rises, it becomes bread, right? If it never rose, you would just have unleavened bread, which is flat, okay? I like massive loaves of bread. I like to break it and then eat it. That's yeast. It infects and pervades the other thing that it's attaching to. But Jesus says, beware, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Two separate groups of people. You have the Pharisees. And remember what the Pharisees try to do as we looked at Mark so far? They always show up and try to do what? Oppose Jesus and say, hey, do this, do that. What do you think of this, Jesus? Trying to trap him into something, to say something wrong or to do something wrong. And then they'll be like, we got you, Jesus. You're not the teacher you thought you were. That's what they're trying to do. So Jesus is saying, beware of the Pharisees' yeast. In the Thayer's lexicon, Pharisees, here's what they say about Pharisees. They sought for distinction and praise by the observance of external rites and by the outward forms of piety or holiness. They prided themselves on their fancied good works. They were like, look at all the things we're doing. Be like us. And maybe they were teaching something the opposite of what they were doing. Okay? I remember Jesus earlier opposed the Pharisees and said something to them then. But here he's telling his disciples in the boat, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. They're teaching. They're mixing it with error. They're not speaking the whole truth. 
Okay? That's what the Pharisees' yeast is doing. Have we ever been caught up in that type of teaching? It's kind of like, oh, it sounds good. And then we start to research it and um, start to look at it with God's Word next, and we're like, well, they're not really right. It's mixed with truth, and there's a little bit of error. That's what the Pharisees' yeast looks like. And Jesus says, beware, disciples. Beware of that. Don't get caught up in that. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, I looked up yeast, and it gives a powerful definition of it and it helped me understand more about what Jesus might be saying here in my own thinking yeast in the Merriam-Webster says something that causes ferment or activity and I looked up the word ferment it means a state of unrest agitation so the Pharisees teaching are just, it causes ferment, a state of agitation, so you never know what's going to happen. You're like, oh man, I'm agitated. What's going on here? Have you ever been agitated before? <laughs> Bill raised his hand. You're just like, what? I, I don't know what to do, I'm agitated, I'm trying to go 100 miles an hour and it's just a state of unrest. And then I looked up leaven because some translations say leaven. In the Merriam-Webster, leaven means this, something that modifies or lightens. And yes, I looked up modifies, and it means to make minor changes in. So Jesus is saying, disciples, we're in this boat going to the other side. And He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Remember what they're teaching disciples? They're mixing it with, they're changing one little thing and trying to get people to do that change. Remember earlier, it's adding stuff to the law and making it equal to the written law and they're adding to it and they're saying, this has to be observed just like God's law that's written down. There have to be both. That's a minor change, right? They added to it. That's leaven, yeast, in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. That just helped me understand Jesus' beware, beware of that. And then you get to the next yeast, the yeast of Herod. Okay? And Herod, Josephus wrote this about Herod. Do you, anybody know who Josephus is? He's a historian. One hand in the back. Thank you. And some other people. Josephus wrote this about Herod. He was light-minded, sensual, vicious. And then I looked up light-minded. And light-minded means lacking in seriousness. So Herod didn't, wasn't very serious. He just did things off the cuff maybe and just wasn't, didn't do things in a serious manner. And if you remember, remember Mark talks about the, uh, John the Baptist being beheaded, right? Remember that? And in Herod, it talks about Herod back in chapter 6. It says this about Herod. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. And then eventually, you know, they ask for Herod or John the Baptist's head, and Herod's like, okay, go. I have to do it. But he liked John. He liked to listen to John. 
So Jesus is saying, watch out for the yeast of Herod. He's heard the message, but he wasn't serious about the message. He just lacked seriousness. He was light-minded, as Josephus wrote. And Jesus says, what are the two words again? It's the same word. Beware, beware. Jesus warns his disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. So Jesus warns his disciples. Then he goes on to question his disciples. Okay, Verse 16, before we get there, he says, They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. So the disciples hear Jesus warn them about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of, the, of Herod. And they're saying, I think he's talking we only brought one loaf of bread. We forgot many breads. We have 12 of us or maybe a little more, but 12 and Jesus makes 13. We only have one loaf between all of us. I think he's talking about that. But then Jesus, he's always aware of people's discussions. Do you, do you ever like overhear people talking and you're like, I don't want to hear that discussion, okay? Jesus overhears discussions or knows what they're talking about and he says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asks them. Now, you think it's only going to be one question. Uh, Jesus isn't like that, okay? He rapidly fires these questions at them, not giving them time to answer. That's what I look at it as. He's just splatting them out, you know, and, and doesn't, he doesn't want them to answer yet. Like, do you ever do that with people or people's done that to you? They just ask question after question. You're like, want to jump in? And they're like, not giving you any time. I think that means they don't want you to answer it. <laughs> they don't want to hear what you want to say. And Jesus is doing that right here. J.D., I wish you would have read it a little faster, but I thank you for reading that because I, I think Jesus was like just like 100 miles an hour and the disciples are like, what is he saying? Here you go. So Jesus gives no time to answer. He has how many questions? About five of them, right, before he gets to the most important one. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened, disciples? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? That's his final question in this section. And he pauses for a second, I think. I think he pauses after that question for one second. He says, and don't you remember? And the disciples are like, remember what? That's what I think. Remember what? And they're talking to each other for that quick second. What is he talking about? And then what does he say? Do you, or when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up, disciples, right? And they said what, everybody? Did they remember? Yes. And then, and when I broke the seven loaves, Jesus said, for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up, disciples? Did they remember? Yes. And they answer seven. So Jesus says, and don't you remember, quick second, they thought about it, they maybe asked each other, and then he says, remember the 5,000? Remember the 4,000? 12 and seven. They remembered. They got it right. Maybe first time in a long while the disciples answered something right. Jesus questions them to remember. That's how I look at it, I think. 
He questions them so fast and then he pauses at the remember part and says, don't you remember what I did in the 5,000? Don't you remember what I did for the 4,000? We just left that place. We're in this boat. We just left it. And they're thinking it's about the one loaf they have amongst them, but it's not. And then he gets Jesus in verse 21. This is our last. So you have Jesus warns the disciples and us today. And then the point number two is Jesus questions the disciples to remember. And now he gets to his third point. Jesus wants disciples to understand. It's not going to look like that in the text, but I think Jesus wants them to understand. And here we go, verse 21, the last verse in our section. He said to the disciples, Do you still not understand? Jesus gets them to remember about the 5,000 basketfuls left and the pieces left over in the 4,000. He gets them to remember that specifically in order for them to gain understanding, I believe. Jesus wants His disciples and us today. It's not just for His disciples, I think. For us today, He wants us to remember in order for us to understand. And that's why I went through all these things. I was reminded, I was reminded, I was reminded. Because remembering things helps us to understand. And to commentators together and then I'm going to give you some uh, examples of what we remember in order for us to understand because here's Emerson Powery in his commentary he writes if the disciples could be fooled perhaps readers can too so the final question of the section do you not yet understand is one with which readers must also wrestle we got to wrestle with that question Do we still not understand? And then Walter Wessel in his commentary says this, Jesus the provider was with the disciples in the boat. What else could they want or need? Almost pleadingly, Jesus asked, Do you still not understand? So those two together, we have to wrestle with that question of, Do we still not understand? And then we also have to wrestle, not wrestle, but we also have to remember Jesus was with the disciples in the boat and he's saying, disciples, look at me. Do you still not understand? It's me, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. Do you still not understand? I've done all these things in your midst and you still don't understand it. But remember and understand or remember to understand what do we do to remember What do we do to remember? Right here, right? We remember the sacrifice. I grew up in the Christian church, so I did it, we did it every Sunday, right? And we do it every Sunday here. There's some churches that don't do it every Sunday. I've been a part of some, and I'm like, I need that. Because if we don't remember... How are we going to understand who we are in Christ? How are we going to understand to proclaim it to people around us if we don't take time to remember Jesus? 
and the sacrifice he made on the cross. Or Christmas time, Jesus coming into the world as an infant, right? If we don't remember from a twinkling tree story, reminding of what the Christmas story is all about, Jesus, how are we going to know who Jesus is if we don't remind ourselves? Every year, every Sunday, every day even, we need to remind ourselves of these things. Because we have to answer the question, right? Who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to you personally? Who is Jesus to me? We all have to answer that question. And if you need to make the most important decision of your life, which is the most important decision of your life, let me tell you, just repent of your sins. You have to believe, or you have to, I want to say remind yourself that you're a sinner. Because we're all sinners, and if you need to do that, repent of your sins. And then you believe the good news. Remember, Jesus came on the scene after he left the wilderness And his first mini-sermon proclamation was repent and believe the good news. Believe that about Jesus. Mark wrote about it. This is the beginning of Jesus, the Messiah, the good news. You confess Jesus as Lord. That's what we're reminded of during communion. He's the Lord and Savior. He died for sins of the world. And then you make that proclamation in front of people, or in front of Jesus and then God. You're like, I want to... You to save me, God. You're the only person that can save me. And then you get in the water. And then somebody dunks you but doesn't keep you dunked. (laughs) And God forgives you through Jesus. And then we get that wonderful gift. It's Christmas time, right? I like gifts. Do you like gifts? What's the best gift that you can have? The Holy Spirit comes inside of you and you are raised to a new life. What a wonderful decision if you've never made that to make it during this season because Jesus came into the world to die for the sins of everybody. And I'm always, I love the verse where the angel comes to the shepherds and says, I have good news for you that will cause great joy for all people. In the town of David, a Savior is born. Isn't that good news? If you need to make that decision, do it today because that's the best decision you'll ever make. And there's cause for celebration when that happens. And we'll celebrate. But if you're sitting in the pew and standing here like I am, if you're already following Jesus, I want you to heed Paul's advice to Timothy. He says this to Timothy, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Jesus tells his disciples in the boat, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Do you still not understand? Look at me. Who am I, disciples? And who am I to you all and myself here today and online? Who is Jesus to you? So if you need to make any 
decision. I pray you do it today. Because if you need Jesus, that's the most important decision and the best decision you'll ever make. And if you're already following Jesus, make sure we're watching our doctrine and life closely and not get caught up in the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Let's pray. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer from the Our Daily Bread devotional book that I read this week as the praise team comes up and leads us in our final song. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, You are our Creator and our Sustainer. Please help us to trust in You. In Jesus' name, Amen.